is going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Around the Show Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Kyle Showalter, and ladies and gentlemen, once again, we have a special guest for you tonight. Once again, my friend, Jason Nichols. How you doing, Jason? I'm good, man. Happy to be back. Thanks for uh, having me on again. Yeah, for those of you that don't remember, our third episode uh, was a little bit of an all-star game celebration, and Jason was nice enough to come on and talk baseball with me for about two hours on the air, and we ended up cutting that down to about an hour and 20 minutes, and then probably stayed on the phone for another hour and talked more after. So uh, it's really exciting for me to have Jason back on the podcast. You know, he's one of the one of the best baseball fans I know. You know, he's a true student of the game. He works within the game, and, you know, I'm just really excited to have him on. So, Jason, thanks for coming back, man. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, and... um. Last time we talked, you were a, a video affiliate coordinator with the Kansas City Royals, and I hear you're a bit of a free agent right now in the in the player development side of things. So tell me a little bit about your situation, what you got going on right now. So, yes, I uh, finished up my season with the Kansas City Royals this year. As of right now, um, expecting and planning to be back with Kansas City next year. However, I uh, do have some things going on with some other teams, interviewing, applying, and talking to guys so hopefully we have it figured out by the end of the year but um no matter what happens i'm going to be really happy with uh wherever i end up next year yeah we're definitely going to want to keep updated on that jason but while you're here and while i got you let's talk some baseball and then you know that's really of course why you came on here and free agency is coming with the world series ending and the nationals taking it and of course right when any season ends the first thing anyone thinks about or in the NFL, it's the draft. In the NBA, it's free agency. And in baseball, of course, it's free agency. So, you know, we're going to run through some of the big name free agents. And, you know, we're going to kick it off with, I think, who the is the consensus big fish. That's Garrett Cole, Jason. Yeah, so uh, Garrett Cole, obviously one, one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher this season. Um, I personally think that uh, he got robbed of a Cy Young. However, this offseason... I am predicting for him to sign with the Los Angeles Angels coming back home. You know, he's an Orange County kid, pitched at Orange Lutheran High School, was the first rounder there, pitched at UCLA, and being the first round number one pick coming out of there too. There's been a lot of rumors and a lot of ties that he wants to come back home. Um, I think another team that could be interesting for him to where it's going to be a bidding war between them is the Yankees. But ultimately, I think Artie Moreno is going to open up the wallet and cut a huge check and bring Garrett Cole back to Southern California. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, it, you know, hopefully it's not just the angel homerism in both of us, considering you grew up an Angels <laughs> fan, now working for the Royals, a bit of a Royals fan. But I'm still full bled, ble- uh, bleed angel red, you know. But I really think that this is a good fit for him. I think, you know, coming home, obviously, you said he pitched at, at Orange Lutheran High School. He actually pitched against our alma mater. Our alma mater, Norco High School, in the playoffs, um, his senior season, which is pretty interesting. Um, but I just think it's such a good fit for him, you know, to to lead the rotation that's going to be featuring Shohei Otani. He's going to be coming back. They're going to need a guy to pitch a lot of innings. Garrett Cole is that. They're going to need a guy to get a lot of strikeouts and uh, induce ground balls when he does have balls put in play. The Angels have a great infield defense, and you know, I just think that the influence of Joe Madden might be a bigger deal here than a lot of people are letting on. I have I've been reading a lot of you know, people who are saying he's going to go to the Angels, and they're not really mentioning Joe Madden. And I think this is why the Angels went and got him, why Artie Moreno and Billy Epler were so interested in Joe, is because he, you know, kind of has this, I don't I don't know if I want to say aura about him, but the way that he's talked about amongst players, I think he has a great reputation. I think he might be, 
the thing that brings Garrett Cole back to the Angels. What do you what do you think about uh, the impact of Joe Madden? Because I know you're a little hesitant about the hiring. Absolutely. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. And we also talked about this after they hired him. I was more in the sense that they'd go with somebody a little bit younger who could be with the young guys, especially since that team over the next few years is going to get younger and younger and bringing their prospects up and facing Joe Adelin and guys like that, that caliber as you know, we looking at them right now, the majority of their guys are a little bit older. Trout's in his prime right now, but Upton is getting up there. They just let uh, Cole Calhoun paid him his, his buyout to let him walk. And it, they're going to be phasing in a lot of younger prospects. But the caveat with that, that you brought up was this is Mike Trout's prime. They need to win now. They need to win while he's still the best player in the game. What a better way to do that than bringing in a manager who has World Series experience going with Tampa Bay and then winning it with Chicago. A guy who's been to the playoffs numerous times and can really lead a club and turn a good team into a phenomenal team. And I think that impact and that influence of having him there could definitely draw Garrett Cole over. Yeah, and I think this is an Angels organization with the death of Tyler Skaggs that really is in need of leadership, you know, and what what a better guy to bring in than Joe Madden, a guy with the reputation of being a leader amongst men and someone that everyone really respects. And, you know, I, I think that even if the Angels do get Garrett Cole, that's not where they're, that's not the last chip that they're going to go after, but we will get into that a little bit later, I'm sure. And then let's just move on to the next name in the list. I don't want to bore everyone with too much Angels talk right away, because as I said, we're going to get into it a lot. Let's go with the next name. I think the, the number two free agent overall is Anthony Rendon, in my opinion. And I think that he's in a good spot where he's at with Washington, Jason. I think, you know, they they already have a lot of money available, obviously, considering that they offered Bryce Harper 10 years, $300 million, and he didn't accept it, so they're willing to spend. Um, they're, I don't think they're going to bring Steven Strasburg back personally, so I think they're going to have a lot of money to be working with, and we know Rendon's already declined that seven-year, $200-plus million, but I really think they need to keep him because their window to win another World Series, I think, is right now. You know, you have Juan Soto cheap for another four years before you got to pay him. And the rest of this team isn't getting any younger besides Victor Robles in center. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I definitely think Anthony Rendon is an MVP caliber player. Probably, as you've been saying all year, maybe the most underrated top tier player in, in the league. Um, definitely, they've got the money to do it and go get him. I don't think they have the money to commit to both Rendon and Strasburg, so I think they're going to have to pick one or the other, and if I'm them, I'm picking Rendon, because that pitching staff is still stacked with Scherzer and Corbin, so having Strasburg there is great, but having those two is also very, very good, and no matter what, you, you with Rendon, you're getting a guy who can play lockdown defense at third base, you've got a premier MVP caliber player, and you know that in the next few years you're going to have to lock up Juan Soto and Victor Robles. To me, picking between the two, Rendon's an easy decision. Yeah, and Anthony Rendon is really a player who's been solid for a long time, and I said earlier in the year when we were doing our All-Star Game preview that he's probably the most underrated top-tier player, as you mentioned, but this year, Jason... He's a seven-war player. That's a, absolutely an MVP-caliber player, and if Bellinger and Yelich hadn't both gone scorched earth in the first half of the season, I think he would have ended up winning it. And if you could count post, if you were supposed to count postseason accolades towards the MVP, he definitely would have won it. He's a top-tier player, and I think that if the Nationals keep him and aren't able to hang on to the next guy that we're talking about on this list, that would be Steven Strasburg. I think they'll still be in a pretty good spot. But let's move. 
But let's move on to Steven Strasburg. Um, he's an interesting one for me. I see a lot of fits. I mean, who doesn't need right-handed or reliable right-handed starting pitching? Yeah, I uh, Steven Strasburg, just going off of MLB trade rumors alone, um, a lot of fans are actually predicting that he'll end up back in Washington. But to me, I, I don't see it. He opted out of his contract, and which I understand. He had a phenomenal season. This is his window to go get his money and get paid for what he deserves. However, he left $100 million on the table with them over four years with another opt-out after this season. To me, I don't think that's necessarily a guy who just wants to get paid. I think that's a guy who, if he was really committed to staying with Washington, he would have stuck with that contract um, or at least reworked it. Yeah, I agree. And don't mean to interrupt you, but correct me if I'm wrong. Is he a Boris client? I believe so. However, I'm not sure. Well, if he is, I mean, you know what the the deal is with Boris clients. You get paid when you can, as much as you possibly can, and you feel no guilt about it. So, I mean, if, if that's what Steven Strasburg wants to do, more power to him. I'm the last person that's going to complain about paying players. And, you know, he just won a World Series MVP, so he's at the prime of his earning potential. Why not opt out? I think you... You definitely hit it right on the head there. And I think, you know, the San Diego Padres are a pretty interesting fit for him. And I think they might be a little hesitant. And I know I'm a little hesitant saying that they're going to do this, considering they just doled out $300 million last year to Manny Machado. And then I believe it was almost $200 million to Eric Hosmer the offseason before that. So they've doled out a lot of money these last couple seasons. But I I just love the fit. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a San Diego kid. He's from San Diego. He went to San Diego State, played under Tony Gwynn. And... What a better guy to lead your up and coming prospects like that the, the, with the prospects they have in their farm system that are almost major league ready. I mean, yeah, Steven Strasburg is a guy who you're going to want to be around those guys. Absolutely. And, and the biggest thing with any playoff team that does well is they've got a, a premier front of the rotation guy. And right now, San Diego, their windows starting to open because their prospects are starting to come up. We saw Tatis this year, they went and signed Machado, their pitching prospects are going to be coming up literally any any season now. We could see a couple of them this year and a couple of them the year after. Why not go after that hometown guy, bring him home, pay him what he's worth. You get him for, let's say, five, six years, great. He leads your rotation. You know that you got automatic in game one of a playoff series, and he can teach those younger guys what it takes to pitch at that level and to be that caliber of a player. It makes too much sense. Another good fit that I see him going to, which I really wouldn't be surprised, is the Dodgers, um, especially now that Ryu is a free agent and they've got Kershaw still and they've got Bueller. I think another, a phenomenal extra punch to that rotation would be Steven Strasburg. But, I mean, we can make that argument for really any team that's willing to, to blow the bank open. Yeah, and I, I agree that the Dodgers would be an interesting fit. I just... I'm not really sure the Dodgers' biggest need is pitching at this point, and I think I think there's bigger issues in that team than starting pitching, regardless of Clayton Kershaw's postseason struggles or not, whatever you want to make of that. But getting back to what uh, I was saying about the Padres, with their farm system, I have it pulled up right now. They have four pitching prospects in the MLB Top 100, and Michael Baez has kind of been floating in and out of the Top 100 for the last couple months. He, he would be the fifth member of the Top 100 that they have, and just their pitching staff alone, they have nine or eight top 100 prospects overall. So if you can get Steven Strasburg in the building with those guys to mentor them, as you said, they're going to be coming up in the next couple of years. I think we could see Mackenzie Gore as soon as next September. I don't know if I'm crazy to think that with the trajectory he's been on, he's absolutely been insane getting to double a last year, I believe. Yes. Yeah. He's, 
he's special. You talked about him when we discussed the Padres on the last podcast. I think that Steven Strasburg would just be such a good fit, uh, obviously on the field, but in the clubhouse as well with that roster. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes almost too much sense. It'll be interesting to see if, if they're willing to go and pay him the money that he deserves. But, I mean, if, if they go for it, that San Diego team turns from just being potentially good to being a contender. And it's definitely going to be fun when they do emerge as that contender to watch them in the Dodgers battle for the NL West. And now let's move on to the number four free potential free agent this offseason. I think that's Josh Donaldson, which is kind of crazy to think after his 2018 season where he only played in 21 games, I believe it was. And, you know, he really tore it up for Atlanta this year. He had 37 homers. He was a leader in the clubhouse. Um, obviously a resurgent season. Where do you think Josh Donaldson ends up next year? So interestingly enough, um, I have read some things to say the Nats are interested in Josh Donaldson if they can't pull off Anthony Rendon. Um, I definitely think he's probably their, their backup plan if Rendon decides to go elsewhere. I wouldn't be surprised to see him return to Atlanta, continue to be a mentor for a guy like Austin Riley, who has played outfield this year, but also came up mostly as a third baseman. Um, there, there's a lot going on here. I mean, he he's a guy who's definitely still above average. I don't know if you could still say that he's elite. He had a great season, but I don't know if I'd still say he's elite. Um, but he, he's an all-star caliber guy that it, it'll it be interesting to see what sort of fit he gets considering his age and considering that he was on, what, a two-year deal with Atlanta? It was a one. Um, one-year deal with Atlanta, that's right. So it, it's tough to say. I could see him going back. I could see him being kind of a, a middle of the free agency season type of pickup after we see where money's being allocated for other guys and then maybe a mystery team comes in and lands him on a random one or two year deal, maybe 15 to 20 annual average value. It, he, he's a tough one. Yeah, and he's he's a, such an interesting player because, you know, over the course of his career, he's been kind of up and down defensively. But this last year, he was really solid at age 33. So I think that, you know, that's a, that's a good sign for him going forward. And if if I'm, say, an Angels fan, obviously, I am an Angels fan. I don't, um, it's He'd be an interesting fit with the Angels, I think. He would be an interesting fit with the Phillies, who have $42 million in terms of luxury cap space which is kind of a spot that they're looking to stay under. But I ultimately think the best fit is with Atlanta. You know, this is a guy who can definitely still play. I'm up on his baseball savant page right now. He's in the 98th percentile of of exit velocity, 97th percentile of hard hit percentage, 94th percentile of expected weighted on base average. This is a dude that can still play at 33 years old. And I do see your point about Austin Riley and not really wanting to block him from his true position because eventually that's where he is going to end up. But, you know, another one or two year deal for Josh Donaldson, I think, is a really good fit for this team because, you know, he really the guys really feed off of him there. He's really the leader in that clubhouse, I feel like, from when I watch these games. And Brian Snitker kind of concurs. You know, he says it's like an explosion. This is a direct quote. It's an explosion when he comes up the tunnel to get ready for the game. Like that's that's a guy that you're going to want to keep around all these young guys especially guys like Acuna who, you know, still need to be molded in terms of maturity a little bit. Donaldson is a guy who plays with a lot of flair the same way that Acuna does, but he kind of keeps under control a little bit better. So it might be just a a little icing on top of the cake to keep Donaldson around for that reason. Absolutely. I I, I couldn't agree more. It's funny that you said uh, Donaldson and his flair. As soon as you said that, it reminded me of uh, the 
altercation between him and Manny Machado back when Donaldson was an A. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> just f- funny memory that that came up when you said because Josh Donaldson, yeah, he has a lot of flair, but I also think of him as a more mature player in the game, especially because he's much more of a veteran. Um, but then it, it reminded me of his younger days when he was, I wouldn't say necessarily hot-headed, but very similar to Ronald Acuna in that sense. Yeah, and it's just, it, he's just such a good clubhouse fit in the same way I said about Strasburg and the Padres. I just think Atlanta's not going to let him get away for another year or two. But very interesting what you said about the Nationals. I think that Donaldson is a, a very solid backup plan to be had. And um, the yeah. fifth free agent that I want to talk about is another right-handed pitcher, the third one already on the list. See, almost like there's a theme here is Zach Wheeler. You know, he's a guy who really had a coming out party this year. He had a an ERA below four, but it doesn't really trail the, tell the full story of his season. You know, his FIP was well below that. Um, he had a solid uptick in strikeout percentage this year. And, you know, I think Zach Wheeler is a really interesting fit for a lot of teams, Jason. What do you what do you think about him? So the, the team that I actually could really see him going to is uh, Minnesota. His representatives met with them earlier this week. It's a team that doesn't have a whole lot of long-term contractual commitments. So I think that they, they could potentially go after him. It's a team that really came out and outperformed their expectations this year. And I, I think a guy like Zach Wheeler, who is another guy who could come out and outperform his expectations just because I don't think we've really seen all of what Zach Wheeler is capable of doing. I don't think he's fully met his potential yet in the big leagues. He had a lot of injury issues with New York, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, I, I think Minnesota, he, he could really help out their rotation a lot. Another team that I've seen has shown a lot of interest is Philadelphia. Um, he, he, he's a solid starter that I think could come out and be a solid number three at worst. And then if he exceeds his expectations, he's going to perform as a, an above average two. I don't know if he's necessarily a one, but I think if he comes out and has a good season, he's an above average two, and at worst, he's a three or four that could really provide some rotational depth. And it's interesting that you mentioned that you think he's a really solid number two pitcher because that's what I think he fits at on this team based on their offseason move that I think he's going to. And I think he's going to end up as an angel, honestly, like not not being a homer. I think if the Angels land Garrett Cole, they will go out and get either Steven Strasburg or Zach Wheeler to pair with him. And I think Zach Wheeler is a really good candidate to pair with a guy like Garrett Cole because I think they're incredibly similar and that's in terms of their pitch usage. If you look at their numbers, if you look at uh, Zach Wheeler's numbers last season, he threw more two-seamers than four-seamers last year, much like Garrett Cole did when he was still with the Pirates before the trade to the Astros. And opposing hitters slugged 145 points higher against his two-seam fastball than his four-seam fastball, and he struck out batters at a 12% lower rate with his two-seam fastball and his four-seam fastball. So I think he's a guy that's a lot like Garrett Cole. If you stop trying to get him to throw those two seams at the bottom of the zone and try to elevate that four-seamer, he's a candidate for a real jump in production. And what a, what a more perfect example of that than Garrett Cole that we've seen the last two seasons in Houston. And, you know, with the Angels, they need to add talent around Mike Trout, of course. We've already talked about that with Garrett Cole, but not a lot of people are talking about this. Albert Pujols' money is coming off the books in two years. They're going to be able to afford well over $25 million in influxing salary in the next two seasons. They're going to get a lot of relief. Is I think that's a big part of why they can't afford Zach Wheeler. Am I crazy to think that? No, I, I don't think so. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I think that a guy that was really interesting um, for them would have been Jake Odorizzi. However, he accepted his qualifying yep. offer and, and was taken out of the market right away. 
Um, but I don't think Zach Wheeler is all that different from Odorizzi. So I, I could see it happening. And then if you get that rotation, you've got Garrett Cole, you've got Shohei Otani, you've got Zach Wheeler, Andrew Heaney, and Griffin Canning. I mean, that that's a pretty deep rotation in itself, considering that Heaney has never really performed to his expectations either. Canning came out, had a good rookie season. Not sure what we can expect of from him out of the future, but I think he'll get better. That That's a pretty complete rotation from top to bottom. Yeah, and Odorizzi is a guy. No, Odorizzi is definitely a guy that I was uh, interested in as an Angels fan. I think he was would have been a really good fit, especially being a left-handed pitcher. The Angels rotation, as you just mentioned, it is very dominantly right-handed, and you know I think that Odorizzi would have been a good fit. But Zach Wheeler, I think, is a superior pitcher, and I think he would be a good fit on this roster. And you mentioned the Minnesota Twins with Zach Wheeler. That's actually where I have Madison Bumgarner, the next player on this list, going. I think that. Um, they tried to trade for him at the trade deadline last year, and, you know, he was kind of having a tough start to his season last year. Everyone was talking about, you know, um, excuse me, Madison Bumgarner is done. He's washed. Um, he's not going to have any value at the trade deadline. And then he started throwing that curveball again, and he really had an uptick in production. And he can still, he's still a guy that can give you 200 plus innings with a lot of solid starts. He's definitely not elite anymore. He's not the guy that was, you know, pitching three times in the World Series back when the Giants were a dynasty. And I think that this Twins team is going to be a lot more willing to spend money than a team that than the Twins teams in the past that we've seen. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And again, that comes down to them not really having any money on the books going over the next few years. I mean, a lot of their guys were guys that they kind of had on shorter deals or guys that were already under pretty good um salary control and they came out and exceeded any sort of expectations that were set for them um started hitting more home runs and really it was their pitching that was kind of lacking this year i think mad bums a really good fit for them you're right they did try to trade for him other interests that i've seen in mad bum um brian cashman said that they were interested in pursuing him and and talking to his reps um apparently the braves have been prioritizing going after him as well I don't think that'd be a terrible fit either. I think that he's kind of in a similar situation as Dallas Keuchel was. Um, and obviously the Braves went and got him midseason. Not exactly ideal for the player because obviously everybody wants to be on a team uh, breaking out of spring training camp. But just the way that the free agent market was last year, unfortunately, that's how it all went down. But I, I think Bumgarner could also be a good fit for the Braves. Um, very similar to, to Keuchel and and yeah, kind of going back home. He's a North Carolina kid, Atlanta, not too far, not too close, but definitely one of the closer teams for, for him back home. Um, could be a solid fit there as well. Yeah, he just seems like he enjoys the down south lifestyle, Madison Bumgarner. He's kind of that country kid, you know. He That definitely seems like a good fit culturally for him. The Braves are definitely very interesting. And maybe the exact opposite of Madison Bumgarner is Hinjin Ryu in terms of just the person that they are. Very, very different people. And that's the next guy on our list, Hinjin Ryu. Very interesting pitcher um, to me based on his repertoire and the numbers he's been able to put up at such a an elevated age. What do you think about the guy? Where do you think he's going to end up? So just gut feeling, I think the Texas Rangers. Um, I, I know that there's been some talk about that already, that that could be an interesting spot. Um Fellow countryman Shinsu too has been with the Rangers, and he's been talking to Ryu. Um, Ryu's expressed gratitude and saying about how he's been getting pushed towards Texas, um, how Texas has been getting pushed towards him. 
it would be interesting to see him go back to the Dodgers. However, I think that ship might be sailing. I don't think the Dodgers are necessarily all that in on the starting pitching market. I think if they could make a run at Strasburg, they will. Um, but outside of him, I don't think that's necessarily a need. We kind of talked about that earlier. Um, Texas had a okay year for for the most part last year. They they were in the running for playoffs for the majority of the year. Um, I think starting pitching was somewhat a little bit where they lacked. They did have Lance Lynn, who had a good year. Um, and I think Ryu's going to bring some depth to that, have a good left-handed starter thrown in, in that new ballpark, and they could have a pretty good team there to compete with the Angels and the Astros over the next couple of years if they sign him. Yeah, and I think Texas is a very interesting fit because of Shinsu Chu. That's something that I highlighted in my notes as well. And Shinsu Chu really was one of the guys that kept that team in the playoff race for so long. He's a very talented player, and I'm sure Hinjin Ryu would be interested in teaming up with him. But I actually think he's a good fit with the New York Yankees, who, according to my list, have missed out on all the big-name free agent pitchers before Hinjin Ryu. And I think he's actually might be the best fit in that ballpark because of his ground ball rates are astronomically high. He gets ground balls on 40% of his forcing fastballs, 53% of his changeups, 65% of his sinkers, of course, on balls in play. Those are insane numbers. To get 65% ground balls on one of your pitches is kind of unheard of. I, that's one of the highest numbers I've seen when looking at these kind of numbers. And He's 32 years old, but I think he's a guy who's a candidate to age really well because of the way that he pitches. definitely in that that smaller ballpark too ground balls are going to be an absolute plus with a good defense as well um i know that new york's infield defense doesn't get all that highlighted but i mean it's still if you get a lot of ground balls those guys are going to make plays they're going to get better and you're going to get outs you know the ground balls especially to the right side are what 90 percent 95 percent of the time outs so having a guy like ryu uh getting those pitches in get those ground balls staying away from the fly balls and really especially that that home run heavy ballpark could definitely uh provide some success for new york yeah as long as Duhar isn't out there the yankees seem to have a pretty solid infield defense and Duhar is just brutal <laughs> at third base man but as you said their infield outside of that i don't think they're going to be able to hold on to Didi gregorius but glaber torres is a very solid um infielder defensively dj lemay has won a couple gold gloves I think they're going to make some kind of a splash at shortstop. I think they're going to do something. We might get into that a little bit later. But to get into the last name on the list, be Nicholas Castellanos. And I got to be honest, at the end or at the beginning of this season, I definitely didn't think Nick Castellanos would be a top ten free agent option at the end of it. So he he's interesting. I, I think between him and Marcelo Zuna, they're probably the best free agent outfielders. Um, comparing the two, though. Castellanos is uh, a year younger, so he, he turns 28 in March. Ozuna recently turned 29. Um, also, there's no qualifying offer attached to him, so I think that's going to be appealing to a lot of teams between the two. As for prediction, he's he's tough. I definitely think Cincinnati could be an interesting fit. I think Cincinnati, they're, they're playoff desperate. They need a good bat. Um but, I mean, it, he was probably the hardest one for me to pick where he could land just because you got to find a team who's willing to go after him. And I think a lot of teams have pretty solid outfields right now. Um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's at least in, in near playoff contention to pursue him. 
that would really need him unless it's a, a a sneaky team that that sneaks their way in and exceeds expectations. So I I'm just gonna go with the Cincinnati Reds, honestly. Yeah, and the Cincinnati the Reds were definitely a better team than their record showed last year. Jason, go ahead. I know that they they were in on Grandall. They really wanted him. Grandall ended up signing with with the White Sox just a couple days ago. Um, so now that I, I, I'm thinking about it, they couldn't get Grandall, who had a good bat and and had a good year with Milwaukee this year, to where I think Castellanos might end up being their top target. It's funny that you mention uh, the south side of Chicago, those White Sox, because that's actually where I think Nick Castellanos fits best in terms of this potential free agent market. And I think it's going to be interesting because they just spent the biggest con- the biggest free agent contract in the history of their franchise, which is really quite sad. The $73 million contract in 2019 is the largest contract you've ever given out in the history of your franchise. That's a, that's a little meager <laughs> con- yeah. compared to some of the other contracts. I mean, Mike Trout just got $430 million for crying out loud. White Sox need to do better. But you said... Unless some sneaky playoff team is going to want to come out of the woods and try to sign Nick Castellanos, I think Chicago might be that team. Chicago could very well be that team, especially looking at the moves that they made this week, locking up Grandall, going and getting Jose Abreu for another three years, which also interesting. I was reading about that. He told them, he went straight to the owners and said, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. This is my home. Let's work out a deal to where I can stay here and it's not going to break the bank for you guys, which I, I think is really cool. I don't think you see too many players like that who appreciate the team that took a shot on them and that they're kind of not giving back in that sense, but saying, hey, let's do something that's team friendly and good for me so that way we still have pieces to go get better and, and spend more money. Um, it, it's just really cool to see that this day and age when so many guys are pursuing the multi-hundred million dollar deals and and free agency yeah and Jose Abreu at his advanced age probably isn't a candidate for one of those uh, multi-hundred million dollar deals but it's still really cool to see as you said guys just kind of give back to the organization you know I'll never fault a guy personally for you know holding out and trying to get his money this is it's still a business at the end of the day you want to get paid what you think you're worth and you know I can't hold that against a guy but to see a guy go out of his way to cut a team a deal is still really cool to see but Nick Castellanos, man, he rakes. That dude yes, can hit. Yes, he does. If you, if you just highlight his days with the Cubs, I mean, he had a solid season overall, but in 51 games with the Cubs, he slashed 321, 356. Not a great not a great job there with the walks. Only a 4% walk rate, but nevertheless, a 646 slugging percentage. That lent its way to 21 doubles, 16 home runs, and 151 weighted runs created plus in only 51 games in Chicago. That is absolutely stupid numbers right there. Nick Castellanos. That's another good point that that you bring up. He's already spent half of this year in Chicago. So it's it's not going to be too much of a relocation. That could very well be a good fit for him. Yeah, and I I think another thing to look at is Chicago had to watch him kill them for six years when he was playing with Detroit in the division. They had to play 19 games against them for six years. So they know everything that Nick Castellanos is about. They know what he can play. I'm sure they have a lengthy scouting report on him. The only caveat or hitch that I see coming into this besides money is that they already have a really poor defensive outfielder in Eloy Jimenez on one side. So Cassianos really fits best on this team as a designated hitter, but I did read an article on the athletic the other day. I believe it was last week that highlighted that his defense is slightly improving. So if there's a little bit of cause for 
concern. I believe it's the defense, but even that might be a moot point because of the bat that he provides. I mean, he's and he's a spark plug guy. You know, he's the guy that went in Chicago and brought a lot of that fire that we were talking about earlier. And I just think he's such a good fit with that team. And it's such a such a sneaky under the radar thing that I think just might be crazy enough to actually happen. That would be really exciting to see a team with uh, him, Eloy, Abreu, Grandal. You got Nick Madrigal coming up soon. Andrew Vaughn isn't too far away. That If they go on income for, for three, four years, that team could be kind of sneaky in a couple of years. Lucas Giolito leading the rotation. Yeah, and that, that brings me to another point with the White Sox. They're really just a starting pitcher or two away from being a really solid ball club and for being mediocre, not even mediocre, for being bad for the last decade. It's it's nice to see them kind of finally emerge from that cellar of the AL Central. It's it's definitely a, been a tough time for White Sox fans on the south side, especially having to watch their north side buddies win a World Series a couple years ago. What are your thoughts on one of the pitchers we've listed already signing with the Chicago White Sox? See the the thing is is I think all of these guys are no no nine digit pitchers. I think all of them are going to get hundred million dollar contracts plus. Besides maybe Hinjin Ryu, I don't think his contract will go long enough for that. And I don't think Ryu is necessarily a good fit there. But it's not impossible. They would just really have to spend in a way that I've never seen them spend, or really any of us have ever seen them spend before. Maybe maybe a Zach Wheeler for four over a hundred. Hey, crazier things have happened in free agency. I actually, that I think that that would be a that would be very interesting. That would definitely make them maybe favorites in this division based on what the the Cleveland Just Indians the do this offseason. for that division. Say it again. I said just over the the uncertainty in that division as a whole. I mean, if they went and got him, that. It's anybody's game at that point. Yeah, and we don't know what the Twins are going to be. You know, they were really good two, three years ago, bad two years ago, really good this last year. What are they going to be this year? You know, we don't really know. It all really depends on health and if the ball is going to remain juiced and they're going to be able to hit a billion home runs again. They don't necessarily have great starting pitching unless they sign somebody. The Indians are a mess. You know, they're going to trade away all of their best players this season is what it looks like. Um, the Royals, sorry, Jason, aren't even really worth mentioning at this point. And the Tigers might be the worst roster in the big leagues. So, I mean, that's, that is, might be the most winnable division in baseball. And the White Sox might as well just take a shot because they got some really solid players on their roster. You mentioned all those dudes with thump in their bat. And if they get a starting pitching staff, it might be a wrap, but let's actually move on to the next segment because we kind of just segued into it with the Cleveland Indians. We're going to talk about some potential free or potential trades this offseason that could be just as big of splashes as the biggest free agent signings because they involve some of the biggest names in baseball. I mean, I see two rookie of the years here in these three names that we're going to talk about. I see two MVPs. I see a couple gold gloves. These are some really, really solid players. And Francisco Lindor is the first name on that list. For some reason, the Indians don't want to give him the money to re-sign him, something to do with their market size. Jason, what do you think about the potential of Francisco Lindor being moved this offseason? So, Francisco Lindor, outside of Angleton Simmons, arguably best defensive shortstop in baseball. Definite plus-plus tools, switch hitter, pop from both sides of the plate. He's an MVP caliber player and can go off and win an MVP just about any year if Mike Trout didn't play. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough. Look, looking at him, he's young. He's definitely a guy that 
deserves one of these huge superstar contracts once he hits free agency. And you're right. It doesn't seem like Cleveland is willing to go out and pay him. And I don't know if that's because they need other pieces in order for them to, to keep up with the success that they've had over the last few years, or if they're just not willing to give out a contract like that overall. If I'm them, yeah, it makes sense to move him. They had, going into the season, according to Bleacher Report, the 26th ranked farm system. Once they reevaluated it, it was at 15. But still, 15 isn't elite. It's not cream of the crop. Yeah, you're, you're average. So going and trading Frankie Lindor is going to bring back at least two top five prospects from the organization. Maybe you get a big league filler, and maybe you get another top 30 guy like he he, he's an elite player he's gonna get an elite package coming back um i i I think it's likely i can't say exactly where i think he will land i think that all depends on who's willing to move off of their prospects i think potentially with new york no longer having dd gregorius that could be an interesting fit for flank for frankie lindor um He's Puerto Rican, so I think that could be a good fit in New York as well with how well players, you know, of, of that culture and, and having that culture in New York City helps. Um, it's just whether or not New York is going to be okay with, one, piecing away their potential prospects, but then also on top of that, New York is a market that would be okay with paying him. So if he goes and gets a taste of New York, likes it, and then they're able to cut a more favorable deal for him, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I actually said on this on my notes, Yankees in all capital letters, I think he's the most likely landing spot. But for those of you listening and wondering, you know, even with all of these factors, just why would Cleveland trade Lindor? Think about what they did with Trevor Bauer last year, who was a potential Cy Young winner just two years ago with two years of control left. They shipped him out the door for a less than stellar prospect package. Actually, it wasn't even a prospect package. They got Yasiel Puig and another player from another team. His name's escaping my mind, right fielder from San Diego. Franmil Reyes back yes. for him. It, it wasn't it wasn't even close to what the package that they could have got for Trevor Bauer at the start of the season was. And then Trevor Bauer lost a little bit of value because he struggled a little bit last season. But moving on to the fit with the Yankees, they're not they're not going to resign Didi. And doesn't the Yankees having a star shortstop just feel right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I know there's a lot going on with Derek Jeter being uh more than likely first ballot Hall of Famer this year. I can say that's expected. And a lot of people on social media saying, oh, he was the best shortstop of his time, even though defensive metrics say otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that you and I talked about that earlier this week. But yeah, it, it feels right that New York has a leader, a superstar playing their shortstop position. And Francisco Lindor fits that. And he's such a marketable guy. You know, he's just a... He's got the big smile. He plays with so much swagger. You know, when the when the Indians played in Puerto Rico and he hit the home run, everyone went insane. That was one of the coolest moments of the entire baseball season. I just think Francisco Lindor is a guy who would look so good in Yankees pinstripes. And it's it's hard for me to say that as a guy who isn't overly fond of the Yankees. I just think he's such a good fit there. And you know, Absolutely. we can talk all day about Francisco Lindor. I would love to. One of my favorite players in the big leagues. But we got to move on to the next player, and that's Mookie Betts, who the Red Sox seem to be keen on moving this offseason with his free agency impending coming this next offseason. Really, really interesting decision to try to trade Mookie Betts right now, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think that it's probably time to move off of him, um, especially coming off the lackluster year that they had this last season. 
it only makes sense. He's another guy who, yeah, he won an MVP. I I can't say with full confidence that I think he's an MVP caliber player. I don't want to say that year was a fluke. I think that year was him exceeding any sort of expectations and, and playing beyond his talent. I still think he's a very good player. I just don't think that should be considered his norm or his expectation. Um, that's just how I feel when, when I watch him play. Definitely, there, there's going to be money coming off the books with uh, Boston. They're going to be getting Rick Porcello and Pablo Sandoval's contracts expiring. Um, depends on what J.D. Martinez does with his deal. He does have an opt-out um, coming up. But... He actually opted back in uh, a couple days ago. Did he? Okay, there, there it is. Um, so it's going to be interesting if they even have the money available to re-sign him. Um, they've got extensions for Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts kicking in. Um, you got to factor in arbitration eligible guys. I, I would assume that Andrew Benintendi is going to be a guy they're going to try to lock up long term with a big extension. Well deserved. Great player. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, unfortunately, even though Mookie Betts is a fan favorite there winning an MVP and a World Series with them, it it's probably not in the Red Sox best interest to keep them. Yeah, and I think that's probably a tough pill to swallow for Red Sox fans because he just won an MVP two years ago. But we discussed this at the and during the All Star Game podcast episode that we did. I didn't even think he should have been an All Star this year. Like Mookie Betts is the kind of guy who's going to be up and down. He's he's just not that he's not at that talent level where he's going to be a perennial MVP, as you said. I don't think he's at the level of Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout and Christian Yelich and those guys. He's just not that player. He's a he's a very good player. But he's not that, and I think it's probably best for them to move on from him at this point because he's not going to be worth the contract he's going to get if he goes off and has a really solid season this year. And I think a a place that he could end up is L.A. with the Dodgers because I think that they're going to be moving on from Jock Peterson this offseason. I think he's a guy that the White Sox might want to try to trade for if they don't land Nick Castellanos. I think he'd be an interesting fit there, but... He's Mookie Betts is just an interesting player to think about a trade for because you're probably not giving up a top prospect for him. If you're the Dodgers, you're probably not giving up Gavin Lux. You know, the guy that hit 350 over three levels this year. He was absolutely insane. But, you know, maybe a guy like Kybert Ruiz, who has kind of become a little bit expendable now since the emergence of Will Smith this last season, the Fresh Prince of L.A., but I think it'd probably take more than just Kyber Ruiz, but I think it'd be a good start. Is is that something that you think would intri- it would pique the Red Sox interest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that they're definitely I wouldn't say they, they'll shoot for the moon with it, but they have a, a like well known worst farm system in baseball. I, I think that's the consensus among most people. They need prospects. And yes, they've got good talent now, but that talent is only getting older. And you need prospects to come up and fill those holes. And right now, they don't have those guys. So if they could trade Mookie Betts to someone, especially maybe at the deadline, who really needs a right fielder who can come out and bang it with the bat, they're going to jump at any sort of possibility to get prospects back for that because Lord knows they need them. Baseball knows they need them. And... Maybe they go a little bit cheaper if if Mookie's not having a good year, but I think that they will find somebody desperate for it who's willing to to blow their farm system up for him. 
um, if it means that they win a World Series next year. Yeah, and that's something that I we're going to talk about a little bit later is the Dodgers' inability to just get to that that peak and win the World Series. But just uh, throw it out there really quick. They lost the World Series two years in a row and then got knocked out in the NLDS this last season with one of the top payrolls in baseball and one of the best rosters in baseball. That's not good. They need to do something to get over the hump. And maybe Mookie Betts is that thing. Maybe that's, you know, the... Maybe that's the missing piece that they need. And moving on to the last name on the list, and this one's a head-scratcher for me. I don't understand this, but one of my best friends is a Cubs fan, and he thinks that they're going to trade Chris Bryant, which I think the notion of that is just absolutely insane. He is a top-10 player in baseball, in my opinion. I think he is much worthy of any number that he demands in free agency. Am I crazy for thinking my Cubs buddy is crazy? Not at all. Uh, I mean, hear, hearing the words Chris Bryant and traded in the same sentence, unless the word not is in between those, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and- I mean, Chris, Chris, Chris Bryant is a, a for sure top five, if not top three, third baseman in the league with Rendon and, and Machado. Um, but besides that, that team is still very good. Yes. Have they underperformed over the last two years yes but you still gotta look at at who you got there you got Javi Baez Chris Bryant Anthony Rizzo Kyle Schwarber you got a good rotation that yes could use some work but still that's not a bad team absolutely not that's a very good team with with Chris Bryant basically as the face of your organization why why would you want to move off of him for what for what reason he, he is a Boris client, and there is a kind of a concern among some Cubs fans that when they held him down for service time reasons, that that might have made Chris Bryant a little angry and not want, makes him not want to return to the Cubs. So the only, sure, the only way that this makes sense to me is if Chris Bryant goes to Theo Epstein and says, I am not re-signing this offseason. Get what you can for me right now. And I don't see Chris Bryant doing that, even if that's the case. So I, don't, I just don't see this trade happening. I think Chris Bryant's too valuable of an asset to that team. They play in an incredibly, uh, incredibly tough division. As inept as the AL Central is, the NL Central makes up for it by being loaded with very solid ball clubs. The Cincinnati Reds were very good. They finished below 500. But the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Pirates finished above 500. They finished 82, 83 and 79, I believe, the year before last. They granted they were awful this last season, but that's a that's a. That's 19 games against some really good ball clubs in your division, and those games matter a little more. So, I mean, if you have a down year, it's okay. This this roster's talented enough to keep together and keep pushing. I mean, it's this is just a no-brainer for me to not trade them. And, and especially with all that being said, I think when it comes down to them locking their guys up, I would think Chris Bryant is probably number one on that list. He's certainly the best player on that team. Yeah, I... And, and even with the uncertainty if he'll re-sign, why would you just give up on this year from the very beginning when this is still a very good club that can come out and make the playoffs and you never know what's going to happen from there? I get it if they're out of it and their division is too good and they've got no shot. All right, yeah, makes sense. They're going to be sellers. But they're not. And they probably won't be. And Chris Bryant, coming back to the whole... Um, Holy and doubt think he did file a grievance with uh, Major League Baseball over that, so we should know exactly what's going to happen with that soon. But I don't think that's something where 
you take it against the team and say, hey, trade me. Otherwise, I think he would have already done it. Yeah, it's it's just such an interesting position being that he's a Boris client and it's kind of a perfect storm of, you know, what if? What if Chris Bryant hates Theo Epstein and wants out of there? What if what if Chris Bryant doesn't like being second fiddle to Javi Baez even though he's the better player? You know, there's there's maybe little things that Chris Bryant could be upset about, but I just I don't see it. He brought that he won a rookie of the year his first year, MVP the next year. They won the World Series for the first time in 108 years with him at the forefront. He was actually the guy who recorded the last outfielding a ground ball and throwing yeah. it to first base to get the last out. He's he's a Cubs legend. Him and Anthony Rizzo are best friends. I I just don't see the demand from Chris Bryant to be traded and without that I don't see them trading him unless they get just a ridiculous haul. But again, you're not getting a ridiculous haul for a rental. The Cubs are the biggest, or were the last real team to give up a crazy haul for a rental when they gave up Glaber Torres for Aroldis Chapman and, you know, won him a World Series, but they missed out on a potential franchise cornerstone. I think other teams are wary of that unless they think that that is the one piece they need. And Chris Bryant very well could be that, but I guess we'll see with him. He's he's just not a guy that I think is really movable for that roster. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Cubs. We've talked a little bit about a lot of teams. So we're just going to keep kind of the ball rolling with that. And we're going to go with the hometown boys, the Angels. And, you know, Joe Adele is really something that I want to hit on with this because, you know, he's a potential, I don't want to say generational type player, but I'm going to say it. He's a potential generational type player with what he's flashed since he's gotten into the minor leagues, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I actually got to see him play a little bit in the Arizona Fall League this year, and it's a different type of player. The ball sounds different when it comes off of his bat, and it jumps different. And I, I've seen a lot of guys at a lot of different levels, and they always say that about, you know, well, now he's in the, the best of the best, so it's supposed to be that way. There's still something that is noticeably different in the crack of his bat. And I don't know if that's part of the scouting mindset that I have to where it's a lot of passing the eye test. But if you look at him at pretty much every level he's been at, he rakes. He's the Angels' number one prospect. There was talk, no longer talk, there was talk that they were going to move Mike Trout out of center field for him to play center. I know that they, they've kind of shut that down a little bit and started playing him in right field when he got called up to AAA this year. Um, and he was playing right field when I saw him in the fall league. I think that's probably the plan for him right now. But he, he's a guy that you're going to have paired up with Mike Trout in your outfield for at least the next five, six years. And what you do with that is going to be unreal. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a 2-3 a or a 3-4 in the lineup. Throw Shohei Otani in there somewhere, too. Maybe a little bit of Justin Upton and Brandon Marsh when he's ready to come up. I mean, that's a middle of an order that can do a lot of damage. Joe Adele and Mike Trout both have... Adele, when he gets to his prime, might have 40 homer potential. You know, he's a guy with a lot of raw power, and he's starting to tap into it in games. He has crazy bat speed from what I've seen, and I've heard a lot of guys say the ball just comes off the bat different, and that's something that you hear that's really common with these guys that are special. You know, you hear scouts talking about Mike Trout before he came up. The ball sounds different off of his bat. It's it's that kind of a... I don't know what the word is. It's like a an urban legend that you hear from scouts, like the ball comes off different off his bat is usually a thing for, hey, watch out for this guy. He's going to be really good. So to hear you say that is exciting for me as an Angels fan, but something that the Angels need to fix before the Joe Adele thing can really even take effect is they have a deep need for starting pitching, and this this stat kind of blew me away. 
They had one pitcher this last year on their roster throw for over 100 innings. Can you guess who it was? Um, I have a guess, but I'm not sure if it's who I think it is. I'm going to go with Trevor Cahill. It's Trevor Cahill, and his ERA was 603. So you got 100 very poor innings from Trevor Cahill. The next closest guy was Andrew Heaney with 98 innings. That's pretty bad. This is, a, this is an Angels team that is in desperate need of sh- uh, starting pitching, and with the potential in, uh, influx of talent, including the return of Shohei Otani, Otani-san, as he's affectionately referred to on the broadcast, um, it, this is a this is a definitely a big need for the Angels, and of course we talked about them potentially bringing in guys like Zach Wheeler, maybe Steven Strasburg, and Garrett Cole is the big name that everyone seems to be connecting to the Angels. This is the biggest need before the Joe Adele thing can be addressed, in my opinion. What do you think the Angels can do if they miss out on these big free agents? That's kind of my big worry because you know they did strike out with Patrick Corbin last year. They offered him a contract competitive with what the Nationals gave, and there's a, there's a very real chance that they miss out on Garrett Cole and these other guys as well. So if you're Billy Epler and you miss out on these guys and you're the GM, what do you do? I think you do the same thing that you did last year. Unfortunately, it just burned up. I know a lot of people were really upset with what Epler did signing Trevor Cahill and Cody Allen and Matt Harvey. But honestly, when you're in that situation, what else can you do? There's not a whole lot that you can do besides pay these guys somewhat close to what they're worth, maybe a little bit of overpaying to make sure that they come to you and not somewhere else, especially when you are in that much of a need of starting pitching. But you, you're kind of paying for what you get. And unfortunately, if you don't get those top guys, I don't think there's too many mid-level guys that are willing to or that are going to pan out and be successful. I think the biggest thing that comes into it is the ability to develop players. And you try to find value in undervalued players. And I know that's always been the secret to success since Moneyball. And there's always been different ways of viewing it of what is deemed undervalued and trying to find value in places that most people don't look. But it's doing what the Astros do. It's finding a guy like Charlie Morton and turning him into a stud. It's taking Garrett Cole, somebody who hasn't reached his full potential, and helping him get there. And honestly, I think one of the biggest things for them, if they do get Garrett Cole, is kind of learning from him, hey, what did you do with Houston? What does Houston do with you? What are they doing to develop their guys and find where they're lacking and how they can get better to become elite? Because it's not just a one-time thing. It's something that Houston has done over and over with. Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, Wade Miley. You, You name a guy on their staff that didn't come up through their system, and it's a guy who was probably not raising his potential that they turned into a stud. So... Really, if, if you can't sign big free agents, I think that's the next best way to do it. But the biggest thing with that is figuring out how. What are you going to change? And, and you mentioned there about how the Astros are kind of this player development genius. But in really every other aspect of their organization right now, my God, what the Astros have going on, they are an absolute mess right now. And we can get started with what happened during the World Series or when they went advanced to the World Series, when their assistant GM made comments about Roberto Ozuna, two female reporters that got hurt, that got him fired 
but that was not before the Astros attacked the writers who exposed him's credibility. Um, yeah. Obviously that, not a good look for the Strohs. That was an overall terrible, terrible situation. Um, I know that you and I really haven't talked about it all that much. I'm one who says that MLB needs to do more when it concerns issues like this, um, whether it's domestic violence, sexual abuse, anything of that nature. Like, There's no room for it. I, I, I'm sorry. If you are a player who does something like that, I personally don't think you should be in the league. I think teams should come together and take a stance that they're not going to accept that and turn the other cheek and look the other way. Um, so with that being said, I definitely think that his comments about Osuna were definitely, uh, first of all, not necessary. Second of all, kind of telling maybe a little bit more about how the Astros feel about it. I know that they got a lot of crap for it when they traded for him in the first place during his suspension. Um, but then to, to yell it in a female reporter's face who had already put a lot of pressure and, and on them about it and made it well known that it wasn't something she stood for. Um, it's just uncalled for and it's unnecessary and it's more telling of his character than anything. And I'm hoping that overall that isn't a stance or a viewpoint that the Houston Astros have, but it kind of shows that their first defense was to, you know, take away the reporter's credibility in the story and deny that it ever happened. It's not a good look for their organization. And it's, it's, it's something that honestly I can't talk about enough just because it's something that I really don't stand with. So it, it left a very bad taste in my mouth seeing that that happened. Yeah, and I think it it can't be touched on enough how how morally wrong it was that it took all the backlash for them to fire Brandon Taubman. I want to put a name to what to what happened. Brandon Taubman is the man that did this. He's former assistant GM for the Astros who was fired. And just the fact that it took public outcry to get, get a man fired for this says something about the organization. I think the Astros have really committed to the to winning so much that they've kind of lost sign about or lost track of what is right and wrong, you know, trading for a guy with the domestic violence past and allowing a guy to stay on the payroll that said something like this is just, it's not defensible. And I think it, it just goes on to show that they're willing to win at any cost. And that leads us into the sign stealing conversation, Jason, this is Obviously not in the same realm as domestic violence. I don't want to make any kind of statement that makes it seem that way. But in terms of baseball, sign stealing, perfectly okay. If you're doing it in-game, if you're relaying guy, relaying signs to the guy in the box, if you're on second base, totally cool. If you're picking signs at the dugout, that's fine. The second you use technology to do it, nope, you got to go. That's cheating. Everyone involved in this needs to be immediately banned from baseball, in my opinion, in terms of front office members, managers need to be suspended for years. This this is something that needs to be hit on hard. This is, it's blatant cheating in a way that's even, I think, worse than the steroids. Am, am I crazy for that? I, this is outrageous to me that the Astros were willing to do this. Yeah, 
No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And unfortunately, it it tarnishes their image of being a cream of the crop, I guess, frontier leading organization when it comes to player development and technology and analytics and doing all the stuff that they've been credited for. It kind of makes you wonder, are they cheating with the rest of their success? And I don't want to say that they are. I don't want to accuse them of that without any sort of sufficient evidence. But it just makes you wonder. And it's it's terrible that it happened. And I totally agree with you that if you want to pick sides and steal them, go for it. It's part of the game. Every team does it. I'm sorry. If you are somebody who believes that your favorite team is not trying to pick sides when there's a runner on second or the third base coach isn't trying to peek in between the catcher's legs, I'll tell you right now, it's happening. Right. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what level of baseball you're at unless you're playing Little League. Little League. Maybe it's not happening, but I bet you if I was coaching Little League, I'm going to do what I can to help my guys out. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a college baseball player. We, we do this. This is a part of baseball, stealing signs, but using cameras and relaying things through technology and the, the Red Sox had something happen a couple of years ago with an Apple Watch. I mean, th- yeah, this is just, their- it's so far beyond the norm and the realm of what is okay. This is... Stealing signs is gamesmanship. Stealing signs yes. electronically is cheating. And yep. there is no room for cheating in professional sports, especially when the stakes are so high. This is these guys' livelihoods. These pitchers that you're picking signs off of and they're giving up massive home runs to you, you're costing them dollars. That yep, That is I'm, why I'm, it's so outrageous to me. You're costing guys their bottom line, and that's where it becomes indefensible for me. Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Is that if you if it's because my catcher has a terrible sign system and it's very obvious what we're calling, okay, that is on us and part of our game to where we are not succeeding, to where we're not doing it properly, to where we are not achieving our potential. Which, yes, when you come in and factor somebody's ability to play the game, that's part of it. If you're paying me as a pitcher because I have a good ERA and I strike guys out and I get ground balls and I'm a good pitcher, yeah. But if I'm tipping my pitches, pay me less because that's on me. That is within my control. If you are doing something that is not allowed in order to do that with a camera in center field and reading my catcher's signs when he's – not expecting to have to put down multiple signs in Coda. He's just throwing down a one for a fastball, two for a curveball, whatever. That's not on me as a pitcher. I didn't tip it. That's not on my catcher for having bad signs and, or keeping his legs open to where they can be read. That's cheating. And I don't think a player's success and his livelihood should be altered by that. And on top of that, I mean... Going into the suspensions, I don't know what Major League Baseball is going to do. I know that the rumor has been it's going to be something that baseball has never seen before. But if you're going to ban Pete Rose right. for sport betting... On, when, on his own team. Yeah, on his own team. And also for, for games that he wasn't involved in. Come on. Then what then what are we going to do here for sign stealing? Pete Rose, who's betting had nothing to do with the game that he was playing himself i it didn't alter his performance and he gets banned from baseball and then this happens which is 100 percent altering performance i don't know if you saw the numbers but their strikeout rates from 2016 
and before to 2017, 2018, 2019, dropped significantly. And sure, maybe that's because that's when they started to revamp their analytics department and start doing all, all this stuff that the Astros are known for doing to get better. But now it just makes you wonder, is it because they were cheating the entire time? We don't know. I think you're right that people need to be fired over it. I will say the one thing that I've seen that I don't agree with, and really there's two things. One, I don't think ownership should have to sell the team. No, I I don't think this has anything to do with ownership in general, honestly. I don't think think this comes top down from that level. I think this is the front office. Yeah, 100%. I've seen a lot of people on social media crying for the owners to sell the team, and I, I don't think that's right. This is their business. They, I would guarantee have zero knowledge that any of this was going on because ownership realistically isn't that involved. They're not. They're involved on the business side and approving what they can spend and what's going on. Some owners are more involved than others, but they're not involved to that level. Yeah, this, this isn't Jerry Jones. This, this isn't right. the NFL where owners are... This isn't Mark Cuban. This isn't Jerry Jones. This isn't the George Steinbrenner of the of the the 1900s. This is modern day baseball. You know, there's the annoying owners and the guys that kind of get in the front office's way, but they're not saying you to go steal signs. Owners aren't paying that much attention. They don't know what's going on to that level. And the the only way that I think an owner was involved in this is is if the GM went to him and asked him if he could do this. There's no way this came from the owners. It, that that's ridiculous. Right. The, the second thing that I think is absolutely ridiculous, and I get it, but I'm sorry, it either won't happen or it's not going to do a whole lot, is vacating their 2017 championship. What is that going to do? Everyone is still going to view them as the World Series champions of that year. I mean, what? I, I, I'm just trying to think, what, what can you do? You, you ban people who were involved and maybe... It would be interesting to see baseball put sanctions on them saying, hey, you guys can't compete in the playoffs for X amount of years, similar to what NCAA does. But ultimately, one, what good is that doing for the sport besides making an example of them? Like the Houston Astros have the opportunity to be the USC Trojans football team of the last decade. Oof. I, and I hate making that comparison, being a that, that hurts to hear. Mom, and I know that you're you're a huge SC fan as well. But realistically, it's like no, USC still won those national championships when yeah. their wins were vacated. It's it's nobody's taking them away from them, even though the NCAA vacated them. Reggie Bush still won the Heisman, so I don't think doing that is going to do anything to Houston. I think the only thing that has any sort of possibility of going through and really making a difference is maybe you set their their luxury tax at a lower level which i don't know if that's the right thing to do i doubt the players association will be okay with that because then you're cutting free agency opportunities for those guys but may i don't know it i don't think a fine cuts it because i think that's hitting the wrong person i think that's hitting ownership yeah i agreed um it's it's a tough situation, and I think the only logical punishment is suspensions and potential banning. What do you do to the players that are involved in this? And I, I think that's my that might be where it starts to get murky because you don't know whether they were even willingly partaking in this. You don't know if you know. I've seen videos of this happening during George Springer and Alex Bregman at bats. Do they even have the option to say no to this? 
are they supposed to rat out their front office and be a snitch in their own organization? I, I just, it, it's a very slippery slope when it comes to punishing the players because I don't think this is a system that they developed. I don't think this is, is a system that they asked for. I think this was something that was thrust upon them and they were the the beneficiaries and now the people that are getting punished for it if you resort to that level. So that's that's a, it's a very interesting and very tough question that I really don't have an answer for. It's that's interesting. What do you think? I don't know because you're you're right in the sense that the guys who are hitting really have have no control over it. They're either going to hear the noises or they don't. They're not the ones making them. But at the same time, it, it makes you wonder if this was happening in seventeen and Mike Fires reported them to the league. Mike Fires last season with them was twenty seventeen. Why is this just coming out now? Why, why didn't he say something a year ago? Why would he say anything in the first place unless he has zero ties with Houston anymore and doesn't care? But I, I don't know. It's a tough situation, and I think that MLB is either going to gain a lot of respect for whatever decision they decide to make, or I think they're going to get a lot of heat for not doing enough. And it's probably a fine line because I don't, I don't think the Players Association is going to be okay with the 25-man roster of the Houston Astros getting banned. I mean, that that tears that organization to, to shreds if that's the case. And that'd be really sad to see guys who had zero involvement in it or didn't want anything to do with it, you know, lose their careers over it. Yeah, that, that, won't, that won't happen for sure. They're not going to kick Alex Bregman, who just finished second in the MVP voting, to Mike Trout out of the league. He's way too talented of a player. The MLB knows at the end of the day this is a business, and they got to protect their dotted line. They're not going to remove very valuable assets from the league, but in terms of the front office people that organize this, they got to go kick them out yesterday. Yeah, they, they need to be out of here punishing the players. That's something that maybe can be on an individual basis. See what everyone's involvement is, but that's a very interesting point that I'm glad you brought up. But we, we mentioned 2017 season in the world series, you Darvish, they picked his signs. That was something that they said after the game that we picked their signs and we go back and think about this now they were stealing everyone's signs. And I want to go to that Dodgers team that lost in that 2017 World Series because they lost that year. They lost the year after that. And then this year, they got eliminated in the division series. And Jason, as former Dodger haters, now a little bit more mature, both of us, and now just baseball fans. And this team's in a really interesting position. It's almost like they're in baseball purgatory. They just can't get over that metaphorical hump and win the World Series. What do, you, what do you think that they need to do as an organization, the Dodgers, to get over that hump? We talked about potential Mookie Betts trade. Is it that? Is it is it adding starting pitching? What is it? You know, I, I, I think looking at the team from an organizational standpoint, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I think that they're just, I mean, potentially getting unlucky facing the Houston Astros and their size-stealing stuff. But, I mean... Going to the playoffs every year, winning, what, seven straight, eight straight NL West division titles? It's something dumb like that. It's it's unheard of. You Going that far, I, I know, when you're winning that much, your expectation is to win the World Series. And going to back-to-back World Series, you're hoping that you win one of them. But realistically, it's getting hot at the right time. I think if you look at those teams, they were very, very good teams that could not have been improved by much. I do think that their outfield may have been a little bit weaker um, 
this last year. But ultimately, these are very good teams. And looking at it, they lost to the World Series champions every year. Losing to, obviously, the champions in the two World Series they went to, but then losing to the Nats, they ended up winning the World Series. So it's not like they're losing first round and then the team that they lost to loses in the, the championship series. It's they're facing the champions. Yeah, and the Nationals were almost a buzzsaw at the end of this season. They were pretty unbelievable. I mean, the Howie Kendrick Grant go-ahead Grand Slam in Game 7 was one of the most unbelievable baseball moments or really sports moments I've ever seen, especially being a big Howie Kendrick fan from his time in Anaheim with the Angels. It was just such a crazy moment. And the Dodgers, I think you're right, they just had bad luck. You know, they have one of the greatest pitchers of all time, maybe the greatest left-handed pitcher of all time in Clayton Kershaw, and he just can't cut it in the playoffs. Like, that's just something that you can't make up. This team just runs into something every season in the in the playoffs, whether it's the World Series or earlier on, that just kind of undermines what they've done all year. And it's it's got to be so frustrating as a Dodger fan. I know it's frustrating to be a fan of a team that can't get even into the dance, but getting to the dance every year and never getting to take someone home, that has to be almost as bad, if not worse. Yeah, it definitely stings a little bit more knowing that you had the opportunity rather than having no opportunity at all. Um, it's kind of like the the thing where people say, would you rather lose the game by a lot or barely lose the game at all? It's like, at that point, I think I'd rather lose by a lot because losing by a little bit, you're that much closer to winning. It hurts just that much more. Um I think as for this year, what what do they do moving forward? I know that there's interest in um, the Korean pitcher, Quang Young Kim. Um, I've seen that lately, maybe as a replacement to Ryu. Um, I know that they, they're losing Ryu. But for the most part, a lot of this Dodger team is going to be back. They've got a bright future with Dustin May and Walker Bueller getting better every single year. Yeah, my God, um, Walker Bueller is unreal. Yeah, Walker Bueller... I would not be surprised if in the next couple of years he's the number one pitcher in baseball, not just on that team. Um, they got Gavin Lux, Will Smith. I mean, this team is good. They've got the MVP and Cody Bellinger. It'd be interesting to see where they kind of go for free agency this year. I think their bullpen could use a little bit of help. Kenley Jansen didn't have the season that we're used to seeing him have. But overall, I mean, if I'm a Dodgers fan, I, I can't ask for much more. People were, were calling for Dave Roberts' head after they lost to the Red Sox in the 18 World Series. And why? Why? Because he can't finish? I don't think that's a managerial issue. It's 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 unlucky. It's you're, you're facing good teams. It's bound to happen. When you continue to be that good and that type of level of good, you're going to win one. They just haven't done it yet. I... And I don't want to say their window's closing. I think their window's still very much open, having a healthy Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger. And I don't know what they'll end up doing with John Peterson, but at times he was a spark plug, really helping them out. They've got a good young core still. They're a good team. You could argue that they're still the best team in baseball, even though they didn't win the World Series any of the last three years. And it's just one of those things. It's one of those things where you're really, really good and you, you just can't finish. Yeah, and on top of all of that that you just said, already having one of the top, most talented rosters in baseball, they have a top farm system too. So this team, talent-wise, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. You know, they have guys that you didn't even mention, like Alex Verdugo, 
Uh, he had a very solid rookie season this year. Chris Taylor is a solid overall player. He kind of regressed a little bit this season. But Max, Max Muncy, of course, is a, a very solid player making an all-star game this year. I mean, they have a ton of talent throughout that roster. And the team that eliminated them is an even more in, in an even more interesting situation because they have the potential to lose not their best player, but also their best pitcher. And that's the Washington Nationals, who just won their first World Series since the Calvin Coolidge administration. 1924, the last time a Washington team won the World Series. Absolutely unbelievable and so happy for them. That's a great fan base. And after losing Bryce Harper to the Phillies, they're able to maintain, keep their team together and bring those fans a, a championship, which is just great to see. But they could potentially lose their two best players on their roster. Two of their best three, I should say, with Max Scherzer still staying there, of course. Juan Soto too, so maybe even top four. I'm just gonna keep walking that statement back further and further, but you still can't undervalue. I mean, Steven Strasburg just won the World Series MVP. Anthony Rendon finished third in MVP voting. Both of those guys could be gone by the time February rolls around and they're checking in for spring training. Do you think this team needs to keep one of those guys, both those guys, or do you think they can compete without either of them going forward? Well, I mean, as of right now, if you pull up their uh, their depth chart that's listed on their website. They have no first or third baseman listed. Um, you know, Ryan Zimmerman going to be, is Ryan Zimmerman a free agent this year? He I, is, I, he is. And that yeah, was I, one of the greatest, so. one of the greatest moments of the postseason was getting to see him celebrate that world series. He's Mr. National. I don't think anyone was more deserving on that roster than him. He really stuck with that city through everything. And what a good guy. Absolutely. What a great big guy. Having Brian Dozier be a free agent and then Anthony Rendon and Strasburg. I mean, they're going to have to bring back either Rendon or Strasburg. I don't think they land both. And I think that's because they're going to prepare for the big Juan Soto and potentially big Victor Robles contracts that they're going to dish out. Honestly, if I'm them, I would try to get a very player-friendly, team-friendly deal within the next couple of years and just give them basically the Alex Bregman extension early on in the career. You don't have to go to arbitration with them. And then you, you reward them for their success so far and you get them until maybe they're 28 years old on an, on an extension. That's fairly cheap. Reward them for what they've done now. Save yourself some money in the future. Yeah, um, we just saw the Braves do that with Acuna eight years, a hundred million dollars after his age 21 season. I believe it was, it'd be a very similar situation with Juan Soto. Granted, he has an extra year in the big leagues on Acuna. So his contract would probably be one year shorter or require more money to get that done. Yeah. But I, I mean, especially with those caliber guys, I, I think that's going to be a more popular thing that we start seeing with, you're going to start betting on your guys being successful before they hit free agency. And obviously, yes, Juan Soto, very successful, but almost betting on that continued success. I know some guys, they get burned by it. I, I think of John Singleton with the Astros from a few years ago. Um, but, I mean, I think it's probably the safest bet, and you're, you're betting that they'll pan out. You're betting that they'll pan out anyways. So why not throw some money behind it anyway, too? Um, having Trey Turner back is going to be huge. Adam Eaton. Um, yeah, I think they need Rendon over Strasburg for sure. Looking at the rotation, they still have Scherzer, they still have Corbin, Anibal Sanchez will be back, who was an absolute horse for them in the playoffs. Um, Joe Ross will still be there. And then I think they could maybe piece it together from there. Maybe they go for a, a middle, lower tier 
free agent starting pitcher, just kind of pick up a guy who, who, you know, looking for some scraps after all the superstars get their contracts, maybe in January. Um, maybe they, they get a Rule 5 guy as their, their fifth starter. Maybe they pick someone up off waivers in the middle of spring training and just kind of figure it out. Maybe a guy who's more of a veteran but gets cut instead of going and playing AAA somewhere else. He just comes and signs a one-year deal to be their their fifth rotation guy. Um, First base is going to be interesting. You got Howie Kendrick there. Howie Kendrick might be able to play some everyday first base. Had a very solid offensive season. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Howie Kendrick isn't on this depth chart at all. Um, so that's kind of Howie Kendrick is a free agent. He is. Well, that'll be interesting. I, I, I he he's a guy that they're going to be able to bring back for cheap, though. I think, especially after just winning a World Series with him, he seemed to be really, really excited about that, as any player would be. But Howie Kendrick, I think, is a guy who, for cost benefit, I think he'd be a solid first base option. Doesn't play the best defense, but certainly hits enough to stay there. Yeah, and definitely. First base is a position where you don't need a whole lot of defense out of him anyways. And if he can do a good enough job and just get by, you're going to take that. You're going to be okay with that. He's not your traditional, typical first baseman that's going to come out and hit 30, 40 bombs, but he's going to get the job done. He's going to be good enough for them to at least maintain some success and make a postseason run. I do think that their division is only getting tougher. Um, Atlanta's a good ball club. I think Philly's only going to get better. New York. The New York Mets, I, I wouldn't cut them out yet. Having that rotation that they've got and, and Pete Alonso, I mean, they it'll be interesting. And I think that if they want to maintain their success, they're going to have to spend the money. They're going to have to go after these guys and try to recreate what they did last year, just minus Steven Strasburg. I think if they can land both, I think they're going to do everything they can to land both, Rendon and Strasburg. I just don't think it's likely that they get both. Yeah, and I think the more realistic of those two options is Rendon. I think he's the better investment long-term with Strasburg, you know, being a little bit older, already having Tommy John surgery at one point in his career. Anthony Rendon has had a relatively clean bill of health. He's been very, very solid over the last couple seasons. Of course, he had his best season in a contract year. That's just how it always goes for organizations that don't lock their guys down. But, you know, the Nationals, they're in a very interesting spot, as you mentioned, with their division, four solid teams, including them. The Mets were ridiculous in the second half of the season. If you remember how completely inept they were at the beginning of the year, they almost came back and made a playoff push. They were in the wild card chase through the very end of the season. So that's a team that I think might have a potential to jump and maybe win this division next year, along with the Phillies and the Atlanta Braves. And Jason, it has been a pleasure to have you on, my man. Every time you come on, I have a a lot of fun chatting with you about baseball, man. We got to do this again, maybe before the next season starts. And I wish you the best of luck going forward, hopefully with the Kansas City Royals, but if not, with somebody else. Thank you. I, I always appreciate coming on. Always a blast and to, to talk to baseball with not only one of my good friends, but somebody that I think has a lot of knowledge about the game. And for those listening, Kyle's the real deal. He, he, he spits the truth. He uh, very real takes. And, uh, yeah, always happy being on. Thank you. Yeah, man, and I appreciate the kind words. You know, always just want to just want to keep it genuine. Don't want to be on here just spitting hot takes. I want to make sure that everyone, you know, that listens, tunes in, and thinks maybe they learned something, even though, you know, I'm really learning as we go along as everybody else is. But, Jason, again, thank you. And uh, go Royals again, I guess. Yeah. Hey, uh, go Royals and, and fight on. Fight on. <laughs>